The 1990s was a decade of technological advances and economic boom. We saw achievements like the Hubble Telescope, the introduction of the World Wide Web, and much, much improved porn. People opened their minds and their wallets to the fascination of these new, shiny objects and markets for entertainment exploded in ways people couldn't imagine, one of which was the video game market. We saw some of the best and worst consoles introduced during this decade, with a major turning point being the introduction of much improved 3D graphics. In this fireside chat, we're going to go down memory lane and talk about the best and worst games of this time, as well as some of the consoles that helped us make the memories. If video killed the radio star, then video game consoles might have had a similar effect on your local arcade in the 90s. Set your NBA Jam player to on-fire mode, put in your blood code for Mortal Kombat, kick back, and enjoy our latest... Fireside Chats. Alright, in this Fireside Chat, we're going to talk about some of the video games we grew up with in the 90s. It'll piggyback off our last Fireside Chat where we discussed TV shows in the 90s. We'll talk about a couple games we loved as a kid, and I know we'll dive down the rabbit hole on all other games we spent hours and hours wasting our time on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, who wants to go first? You know, I'll kick it off with the game that really mm-hmm. defined the decade. Okay. And that was Super Mario 3, man. Well, it came out actually in 1988. Nine, yeah. Actually, 88. Was it 88? Yeah, it was an 88. Oh, it was like October of 88 in Japan. Okay. Oh, it, I see what you're saying. But it was released here in the U.S. at 89, right? No, it was released in February of 1990. Gotcha. Okay. So what happened was initially it came out in 88 in Japan, but at the same time that it came out, we were at the end of Super Mario 1 and we were just releasing Super Mario 2. Right. And Which so, was uh, not a fan favorite. A lot of people didn't like Super Mario 2 from what I remember being when I was a kid. Like The story behind Super Mario 2 is that the first one that came out in Japan was actually like Super Mario 1, but it was just like on steroids. Mm-hmm. And when they sent it over to the U.S. to get approval for it, they were like, we can't do this game. It's like just Super Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. So they actually went with a game that was used in like some kind of competition over in Japan. And okay. they were like, look, we can just change the players in it, turn it into Mario and Luigi, and let's go with that. And that's what they ended up doing. That was Super Mario 2. Okay. And it actually was a really big hit. Yeah, I just it's funny because I remember uh, I liked it. I remember playing like uh, my cousins had a nintendo we had a nintendo but we didn't get one until about 89 yep and uh i remember playing and i thought it was a really cool game but i remember a lot of people complaining and saying well when super mario 3 came out it was such a huge hit mm-hmm. that i think it overshadowed two and then of course one was the initial one of course but i think the argument was that it, it didn't feel like super mario 1 super mario 2 right and super mario 3 actually felt a little bit more like super mario 1 but right. just on steroids like right. it just added so much to it so yeah. was part three the one where you could get the raccoon, raccoon tail and yes, fly that's exactly yeah. right. all right and all you right. had the map that you would go to that's then, right then, yep. yep that yep. i still because we have a wii upstairs and me and my son will play Super Mario 3. It's the only Mario... Actually, we'll play the first one, too, but just because it's like a nostalgia thing. Yeah, sure. Or whatever, but never play 2. Always play 3 or 1. Yeah, sure. There you go. You know, with Super Mario 3, that was the first one that they started to introduce things, like the world map that you were talking about yep. that kind of split up the levels. Yep. And they introduced suits and stuff like that. Yeah. The frog, the frog suit. was awesome. God, you right. fly That's through right. the water, mm-hmm. but it slowed you down on land. Mm-hmm. And then they also had the hammer suit, yep. which uh, you could throw hammers and also recoil into the shell and be like, uh, have, you know, invincibility right. for the most part. Yep. And uh, But then they also had the leaf where you could turn into the raccoon. That's right. But then they also had uh, another thing where you could turn into Tanuki Mario, which Tanuki is like this mythical creature in Japan. Okay. 
and he basically is like a flying raccoon. Okay. Hmm. And uh, the thing was, when you were that version of him, you could press down, and he would turn into a statue, and you became I invincible. I vaguely remember this. All right, one. and that was like, they were like, you know what, they're probably not going to understand this in the U.S., but we're going to put it in because it's big on our culture. Right. Man, so, so I got to go back to part one. You remember in level three where you could sit there and jump the turtle shell and get all yes, the extra yeah. Yeah, and the, of course. The, it was, the number was so high, it wasn't even numbered it anymore. It would turn it into flags. symbols and flags. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was actually part of what they ported into three was that mm-hmm. they wanted to make it accessible for everybody. Mm-hmm. They wanted the five-year-old that was playing to be having as much fun as the 15-year-old that yeah. was playing. Mission accomplished. Dude, yeah. They added a lot of bonuses, a lot of coins, a lot yeah. of just, you know, stuff that kept the younger players engaged. Yeah, because you would end the level two, remember, and they would have the games like the well, lottery, like uh, almost like a, lo- like a slot machine. Slot machine. Yeah, 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 exactly. You get a star. That was always fun, too. Yeah, exactly. They did that. But for the more experienced players, they added stuff like, you know, the flute that you could yeah. find it and go to like warps. That's right. And, yeah. you know, get ahead in the game real quickly. Yep. But then they also added stuff where like on like level one dash two or something like that yeah. you could stand on top of the white rectangular tower and like fall down behind it and then go behind go behind the board yeah, yep. you know, right. stuff like that man this is like totally jogging my brain yeah uh, i remember all this stuff vaguely and this was the first game that they actually put out a nintendo power guide walkthrough okay. strictly on this one game hmm. they were like there's so much stuff in here I think we're going to start losing players. Like, let's put this out. And they put that first one out, and okay. it was a huge fucking success. And they spelled out everything. They put every secret in there, every cheat code, everything. Was the launch here in the U.S., didn't it coincide with the movie Wizard? Okay, so the way that that worked was, I forget what the film house was, like whether that was like Universal or whatever it right. was, but they were looking to put out the Jetsons as their main film for that year. Uh-huh. And they realized that they weren't going to hit their deadline. So the guy that was one of the head project guys was like, you know what? I've been playing a lot of Nintendo. I'll bet you we could make a movie about Nintendo and it would do very well. Insert the wizard. They made that thing so quick and it was really just like a 90 minute promo for Nintendo. For yeah. the Super Mario 3 for because Super remember Mario. it was yeah. huge and they were like, Super Mario 3! Yeah, woo! But no, yeah, I remember that, and th- because they also introduced that and the Power Glove. Yes. And the Power Glove got me so hyped that I, you know, was practically masturbating to it at that age, just because I was like, it's a real glove, it's going to be a virtual reality glove that I can control my video games with, like, the future is now, and then you got the, actually, I didn't get it, because my parents didn't buy that shit for me, me but a kid down the street, he got it, brought it over, and I realized that basically what it was was a fucking controller taped to the Strap back of your arm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it was actually worse because you were having to play like one-handed now. There was one game where you were an airplane and you were shooting stuff. Yeah. And you just kept on having to like squeeze your hand. So you're basically yeah. like jacking off. Yeah. Like sitting there playing a video game. And, uh, it's a yeah. weird jack-off move there. <laughs> well, you don't do that? <laughs> I just squeeze it till it gives up. <laughs> As inspiration for the game, they actually had the designers fly from Japan over to America, and they went to New York, to San Francisco, and even down to Walt Disney World. Okay. You know, they they looked at it, and they thought it was really cool the way that they did it down there was every, like, little area ha- was, like, dedicated to a certain movie mm-hmm. or something like that. And that's – nobody at Nintendo's ever confirmed it, but, you know, that's where they came up with the world map. Okay. And, you know, in Orlando, they've got Cinderella's Castle as, like, the main focal center. Yeah of Epcot and all that. Right. And so then when they brought out the game, every board you were trying to get to that big castle at the end. Right, right, right. And, you know, they, they've never confirmed it, but, I mean, it's 
Hmm. It's pretty much written. Well, and it was cool too as a kid because sometimes it was fun to play like water levels. Yeah, sure. Like that. So you knew what you were getting. If you were, you know, beep, beep, beep. And then all of a sudden it's like on, on a little pond or something like that. You're like, sweet. It's a water level. Maybe I can get that sweet ass frog suit. Yeah. You know, and those little squids and stuff like that. But yeah, Mario 3 was just, I mean, it was, uh, man, it may be, it's in the top five of all the Super Nintendo, I mean, all, all the Nintendo games. Was Actually, Yoshi- top four. The game sold 250,000 copies in the first two days of the release. Wow. According to a spokesperson for Nintendo, by 1993, the game had sold four and seven million unbundled units in Japan and the United States, respectively. In the United States alone, the game generated over $500 million in revenue for Nintendo. Author David Sheff commented that, in music industry terms, the game went platinum 11 times. Diamond. Yeah, exactly. Better than Kid Rock. He said he went platinum seven times. That's right? yeah. <laughs> uh, Super Mario 3 remains the highest grossing non-bundle home video game to date, having grossed $1.7 adjusted for inflation. Wow, wow. dude. Excellent. Well, huh. it was a great game. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Just uh, as a final note, do y'all remember the final board or I, that whole final level? Like you had to like jump onto a, a pirate ship, basically, uh-huh. and they've uh-huh. got cannons all flying yeah. at I you everywhere. Remember, and, the, and the cannons were going really fast, really fast. They had these like mole characters that were jumping out, throwing yeah. wrenches at you. I mean, it was just crazy. And yeah. like it took me forever to master just getting on that ship and right. getting through that. I can hear the music in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. But then you get to that final board and it's like, it's all blacked out. You have just the spotlight on you and you're kind of moving oh, around. I do that now. Yeah. yeah. And all you can see is like the board that you're going to go into and like skulls all around That's you right. and stuff like that. It was a game of the decade. It was. And, I agree. Um, yeah. I think the fourth highest selling game for Nintendo Entertainment Systems. Wow. Hmm. Well, full disclosure, I uh, never beat the game. I never beat any games, to be honest. I wasn't very good at them. I liked to play, and then I would quickly give up on things. So I had to rely on my neighbors and friends to beat it while I watched them do that. So <laughs> I never beat Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. How got could the, you? It was one punch from I know. Yeah. I, would get, I would get the cheat code, and I'd go there and get knocked the fuck out every time. And then you know I'd go back and beat up Glass Joe and feel like a champ. Zero zero seven five six three five nine six three. Fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. I still play that game too. I, me and my son play it. So Randy, what you got, brother? All right, man. So one of my favorites of this decade was Tekken three. Yeah. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So the Tekken series, you know, it was a mild hit and Tekken three was kind of a game changer. It came out in arcades in March of ninety seven and came out for the PlayStation in ninety eight. Tekken three, they say, has been cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. With over 8 million copies sold worldwide, Tekken 3 is the fourth highest selling PlayStation game ever. Wow, okay. Yeah. I think it's my favorite fighting game of all time. Yeah, it's very good. I like that one, and then they had one that was sort of equivalent, but with weapons called Soul Calibur. Oh, that yeah. I liked a lot that did really well, but I think that was into the 2000s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it eventually did, because it came yeah. out on the, I had it on the Dreamcast, but the Tekken, yeah. I love Tekken. So according to Metacritic, uh, Tekken 3 has a score of 96 out of 100, indicating universal acclaim and is ranked number two on their list of greatest PlayStation games. As of April 2011, the game is listed as the 12th highest rated game of all time on the review. Compiling site Game Rankings had an average score of 98%. So the big thing I remember about Tekken 3 was the introduction of all the new characters, right? Sure. So they also had a bunch of new combo moves. And again, it had a little bit of 3D effect to it, Mm -hmm. but the 
there was a guy named Eddie Gordo. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Eddie Cheesy Gordo. Gordo. Was a, yeah, Eddie was a fucking game changer. He was yes. a Rastafarian looking dude that like danced on his hands and yeah. he would sit and spin. Yeah. yeah, sit and spin on his hands. And pretty much like pin you in the corner and just like break dance, whip your ass. Yeah, and combo it was very your ass. yeah. There was like looking. a move that you could do that would basically just like you would push your opponent into the corner and you could just keep on leg sweeping you them could, up into the air. Yeah, there was that, and then he could do the break dancing thing that would take your legs out and then switch over into like a full layout. So by the end of it, he's doing like a backflip onto your head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I remember playing the game, and we had a rule. Exactly. Couldn't use Eddie Gordo. Yeah. And if you did, you both got to use him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And this rule had to it had to exist. Yeah. Of course. Because oh. it was, it, like I said, it was almost like having a cheat code. It was. For it, your guy. Also, it was the, almost, I think, in a way, it was like how, when we go back to Super Mario, how they added stuff that was good for novice players, but also exactly. for experienced players. And Eddie Gordo was the novice player person. Absolutely. It, was, it made it accessible for everybody, because I remember we had this one summer where we, maybe the greatest summer of my entire life, where everybody's parents went out of town sequentially and uh, a group of about 40 of us kids sort of went from house to house to house for about a month living like we were adults. <laughs> and uh, during the day... Side note, we should not have been allowed to do that. Right. But not we have, did. They didn't know and it made it was a very pivotal moment in my life. Very fond memories. But during the daytime, before we all started on dinner, we would play Tekken all the time and I remember girls coming over and even the girls could get with Eddie Gordo and beat some of us and that's when the rule was made we were like no Gordo no, no Eddie Gordo, Gordo. Yeah. you could be Lay you could be Law you could be you know whoever you want to one of our buddies was always Brian yeah uh, yep. but yes it was uh, it felt like you were cheating when you when you played with that guy yeah no definitely they had a couple little mini games within it Tekken Force and Tekken Ball yes. but we were always playing one on one yeah, it didn't yeah matter, of course so yeah. Yeah, no, that uh, that summer you talked about, I referenced it as well. It was nuts, and we pretty much, I think, burned the fucking PlayStation up with Tekken yes. 3 and another one on my honorable mention, Need for Speed. Oh, yes, yeah. Need for Speed 2. Yeah. Because remember, Man. that was the one where the cops could chase you. That's right. It was almost like that was one of the first games that it was like, Cruising USA from the arcade right. that got ported into a video game system yeah. that you could play at the house. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It looked good. And also, we played Resident Evil 2 a lot. Yeah. Remember, it was a strange, because it was it felt like we were watching a movie. It was like a I mystery. I think that thing. was more me and Mikey than yeah. Well, I remember, I remember Randy. A, a, a number of people sitting around and playing over at, uh, some. I won't say anybody's names, but... And the rule was because it was kind of hard to control the character, mm -hmm. but everybody wanted to see like the story breakdown. So someone we called him the driver, whoever could drive the character. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but yeah, those three games were were huge. But yeah, definitely Tekken Three was yeah, massive. yeah. game changer. It was awesome. So another one of the games that was a, a massive game changer for me personally and for us as a group growing up in high school was Goldeneye. Oh, my oh, God. That was the first, like, Doom and stuff like that had existed on computers at that point. And so, like, I played some computer games a little bit, and I remember playing Doom and really liking it and stuff like that. But Goldeneye was the first time that you, first of all, uh, you could play with four people that I recall, like, in a first-person shooter game. So That, that was could, the first first-person shooter that you could yes. do that in. And the graphics at the time were mind-blowing. Now, yeah. you go back to it, and it's hilarious. But if you were a kid that had grown up on 8-bit and then just a 16-bit, like, I remember being blown away that I could shoot someone in the ass, and they would grab their ass and be like, oh! <laughs> and I would, yeah, I would sit there, and I would post up with a sniper rifle on that snow level and just shoot everybody in the ass. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it was hilarious. Of course. But the games, when we were at friends' houses, the, the four-player games 
would get intense, dude. And the favorite thing that I had was like the proximity mines. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And you just run around the board. Everybody's and trying to hunt each other down. All of a sudden you hear a boom. <laughs> yeah, you put it, you post it up on the ceiling. Or if it was like a walkway, you could do it underneath so they would never see it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, it got extremely competitive. There was one where you had the golden gun and stuff like that. But sure. we all one had certain shot. games you want to play. But everybody knew that game, loved that game, would play that game. And uh, a four-person Royal Rumble set up in 1998 when you're like 16. This is like the first time That was the beginning of mm-hmm. four-player interactive at the same time systems. I what? can't tell you how many hours we spent in college dorm rooms. A buddy of ours, we would kind of congregate in his dorm room because we could... He didn't really care what we did in there right um, <laughs> but there'd usually be five or six of us crammed in a dorm room yeah with four people on the game system you only had to wait max like two rounds to yeah. get back in yeah sure you know what i mean i'm talking hours and long nights yeah of uh yeah just it, yeah you would go out night. for a smoke break and you would come back in you'd be right back be into the roll. action yeah and it was great too because i think that the big thing when we were growing up in the 90s was the fighting games that was a huge thing sure right and now we'll get into that here in a minute because that'll be my second pick uh but I think GoldenEye was where the handoff occurred, away from fighting games being the most popular type of game sure. mm-hmm. to first-person shooter games. Because in the 2000s, when you had like Call of Duty and everything like that, that was just like... Th- then you could start playing other people online and stuff like that. But Well, this was the, the precursor Exactly. That. This was the genesis of that, was yeah, GoldenEye. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, you, know, I don't, I, you know, the movie itself sucked. I didn't. I don't like James Bond movies that yeah, much. I no. didn't care for it. It was like Ivana Hump a lot, the redhead chick. But that you okay, shoot in so head. what was the the short guy with the suit? Oh, that's right, Odd Job. Odd that job. was our rule. You couldn't, couldn't play be Odd, odd job. job, okay? Because Odd Job was a little bit shorter, <laughs> yeah. so he actually shot you like right yeah. at like at the kill shot spot yeah. every time. And what is hilarious because he was so small, you couldn't shoot you him had very to easily. Squat down to shoot him. Yeah, and we would figure that out. You see a little Odd Job running around <laughs> trying to shoot him. But yeah, dude, dude uh, I think. Anybody that grew up in this time has very fond memories of Goldeneye. Fantastic. Of so, side note on uh, James Bond. I read this week that Daniel Craig wears a hairpiece. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Very good hairpiece. Yeah. Oh, must be a really good one. Mm-hmm. I read a number of people. I was surprised. It was on like, it's a weird rabbit hole as I go down. It was like a toupee website. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. Well, now we're, there's a lot of those like sculptors that you know you go in there and you spend like a thousand dollars. Yeah, you get the whole wig and they kind of sh- you know shave it down. We we're and talking about we watch a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm. We were talking about Ted Danson. That's and right. I told my Ted wife. Danson yeah, it, yeah. I told my wife. I was like, you know, he wears a hairpiece. What? Yeah. Oh, it has mm-hmm. for years. When he was Back on Cheers. Cheers. Really? Yeah. yeah. There was one episode where they actually showed the bald yep. spot. Yep. Wow. So, uh, see, I wind up on this toupee website, and it's like Hollywood people that wear toupees. Yeah. Undercover Hollywood toupee website. The biggest one you got to look at is Jeremy Piven. The guy's bald as hell. Well, even when he was in PCU back in 93, his hairline was like... Uh, I mean, honestly, Michael Scott, if you look at Steve Carell Mm -hmm. in the first season of The Office, you're like, that dude's got doll hair. Right. It's like plugs, and then it slowly gets better. Same thing with the guy who hosted The Soup. What's his name? Uh, uh, He just did the, the Tiger King thing uh joel McHale. joel McHale. yeah 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 you see joel McHale back in the day like in the late 90s he was bald dude now he's got a full luscious head of hair another one i was surprised to see was uh they said kevin james wore a hairpiece uh, yeah, during king of queens really I can yeah. See that. yeah yeah wow. yeah it's kind of weird no it's good. sorry That's yeah total side yeah. piece there yeah all right, so uh, on to the next games. All right, so that actually kind of ties into the second game that I'm doing, which is Super Mario Kart. 
Yes, which was okay. the first two-player at the same time game that came out on the Super NES. Right. Where you could sit there and battle your buddy at the same time. That's right. Mario Kart first came out on the Super Nintendo, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. And uh, it was 92. Yep. It came out uh, just on the heels of Super Mario 3 and all that. Oddly enough, even though it was on the Super NES, Super Mario 3 was still raking in big bucks at the time. Sure. But, uh, you know, the next console would come out. Super Mario Kart came out on it. And that was the first game that for the Mario Brothers franchise that took it off of the platforming game only style for them. So with the platforming games you had is just side scrollers for the most part. Right, right. And then you were able to take this and put it into a racing game now. So now all of a sudden the Super Mario Brothers franchise became portable. Right. We could do it in all these different formats. Right. And that paved the way for it. Yeah. So but uh yeah, no, that came out in ninety two, big acclaim on that, and then in ninety six that was Mario 64. And 60, yeah, Mario Kart 64 was released. Maybe Mario 64 ahead. was the one that was... The, I remember playing that at the Blockbuster. It was the first 3D Mario game. 100%. Where they Blew were using 3D my graphics. Mind. I was yeah. just like, couldn't believe how cool that was, yeah. man. Yeah, it was insane. The, I remember the controllers for the 64 were Very odd. Very Yeah, they were, they were odd. odd hardy it was the first joystick. The, yeah. uh, the kind of like rotating joystick that they right, used. Yep. right. So, yeah. because even the um, PlayStation initially only had the standard square, you know, the crosshatch mm-hmm. set up. So, yeah, the Nintendo 64 had that weird. And the top buttons, right? They had the top button yeah. and it had the trigger button, which, again, super bonus for GoldenEye. For because Goldeneye. it felt like you were it, shooting you were... motherfuckers in the head for yeah. real. I know. That controller made it feel like you were c- carrying a gun. Exactly. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. All I'm doing is killing Asian midgets left and right. <laughs> Odd job. You're getting it, son. But yeah, no, uh, Super Mario Kart is the game that is titled with creating basically the multiplayer race car game craze for everybody. Yeah. In 94, two years after the release of Super Mario Kart, Sega started releasing like Sonic Drift. A kart Sonic game. Drift? I don't even remember that yeah, one. Yeah, it was a, a kart racing game featuring characters from Sonic the Hedgehog, and it was just like... A fucking ripoff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that is. <laughs> what an asshole. You know, but I mean like... Sonic is a ripoff of Mario, in a sense. It's Genesis' flagship. It's true, but Sonic also had the little thing where he could go real fast. 16 bits. Yeah. Versus 8 bits. But it's so uh, blatantly cribbing off. They're like, oh, here's Sonic's race car game. Everybody did at that point. Because Nintendo was so big, I think their market share in the U.S. alone was like one in every five houses had a Nintendo entertainment system back in the 90s. I can see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's a 20% share of the entire U.S. market. Yeah. It's a funny story how I got my Nintendo. I was way behind the curve. Hadn't had one. My parents weren't going to get me one. And I had a cousin that was a bit, uh, he was a teenager, a little unruly, lived in a different state. And he and his friends figured out a way to steal Nintendos from the local mall at the service merchandise. Oh. Well, they got caught with one. Mm -hmm. And he had about 10 of them. And he pretty much knew at this point i can't sell these things so one day in the mail i get a big box from my cousin brand new nintendo inside and my mom was like what is what's happening with all this what's your cousin doing sending you a brand new nintendo didn't ask too many questions but man that was cool that your parents didn't ask questions because they knew what the score was oh i'm sure my parents would have asked it thousand yeah. questions and that would have gotten sent back well when end. he got arrested i mean the whole family knew about it at that point <laughs> yeah. so i mean i think they knew 
how I got it, you know? Well, yeah. Oh, true, yeah, yeah. true. But you turn a blind eye. Yeah, you let little, your kid have the thing. You know, a little 12-year-old receiving stolen property. It's all good. Hey, you yeah. know, you can't, it's not It's not like a sins of the father situation. It's not your fault that he stole that. doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy the fruits of his labor. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a meme the other day. It said, uh, 2020 was a video game. They just need to pull that shit back out, blow on the cartridge, and put it back <laughs> in and restart <laughs> this motherfucker. Yeah. All right, so the next game that I chose was Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Damn. Yeah, it was released for the PlayStation September 29th, 1999, so I just made the cut to keep this in our 90s game show. Mm -hmm. Just to give you an idea of how successful the Tony Hawk video game series was, when combining the sales of all their 17 games, it's made $1.4 billion. Damn. Jesus. Oh, here's another thing that proves how successful it is. My mom knows who Tony Hawk is. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not because she loves skateboarding. Right. Because this game was everywhere. It was absolutely. ubiquitous, man. They're making a documentary about it. Yeah. So one article that uh, was in the documentary about the video game said that a lot of them were very hardcore skaters like Jamie Thomas and Chad Muska, and they were very hesitant to be in the game in the first place because they were afraid that the game had the potential to be cheesy or bad. Sure. Enough. Nobody knew how big it was going to be beforehand. And yeah. that's what they said. The thing about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is it represented skateboarding culture so well. The video game captured skateboarding culture with players learning the names of the tricks, how to perform them, the names of the skaters, and the names of the sponsor companies, mm-hmm. which was yeah, huge. Sure. Like Birdhouse. I wouldn't have a fucking clue what Birdhouse right. skateboards were unless Not at all. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater that's wasn't right. out there. Yeah. The one big thing I remember about the game was the music. Yeah, it so, was revolutionary. Oh at man! The time. So you had like a lot of punk music, a lot of ska mm-hmm. music, and you, I, I had never really heard a lot of. There was one No Effects song that I think I re- remembered. Yeah. But other than that, you learned them because yeah, you yeah. sat there for hours playing the game, and Certainly. it would just get burned into your brain. Here I am doing everything I can. Oh, yeah. oh man! Going on for all day. Pretending I'm a Superman. <laughs> but that was cool because they were actually playing real songs on the radio. It wasn't like songs that someone made for the video game right. specifically. Like, no, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, he's going to twist it up 360. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. You could sit and play that game for hours. It had a decent amount of boards to play, and you could ride freestyle and learn to do all the stuff you needed to do for career mode or whatever. Another fond memory I had of this game was from my college days where a couple buddies and I spent an entire night drinking cheap beer and trying to land a triple kick flip backflip special move with one of the guys named Andrew Reynolds. Nice. But this is how broke we were. We only had the demo version that Pizza Hut was giving out when you ordered a pizza, so it only (laughs) had one board on it. So we we played the warehouse board for about 12 hours straight with this one guy trying to do this one trick. I remember laying down to go to sleep that night and closing my eyes and all you could see was, was the tray. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my God, go yeah, away. That beer will do it to yeah, you. Yeah, go away. Man, I listened to a podcast with Tony Hawk on there. Do you know that he was doing so well that at the beginning of his senior year of high school, he bought a duplex? His dad was trying to get him into like thinking about what he could actually yeah. do with his money and like he was just blowing it on everything. He was like, you need to buy a place. You need to know how much stuff costs, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So as a like 17-year-old or just turned 18-year-old, he bought a duplex and his entire senior year mm-hmm. at high school, he lived in the duplex. And he yeah. was like, you know, as a high schooler, you're constantly going around trying to find the people that their parents were gone. Yeah. And my house was that house. Yeah. 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 You know. Well, you have to understand, he uh, was blowing up when he was 13, 14 years old. And he was, there's actually a really good documentary Stacey Peralta did, who is the head of it. Stacey Peralta started with 
the the Z Boys, the the Zephyr Skate Crew, yeah, the seventies, yeah, yeah, yeah. ended up becoming a filmmaker. But in the eighties, he started the Bones Brigade, like the which, Lords of Dogtown and all that. That was yeah, that was the, the, the Zephyr, yeah, yeah, exactly. But he started the Bones Brigade in the eighties, and they picked up Tony Hawk when he was, I mean, twelve years old yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And by the time that he was already like said, the Bones Brigade was doing like world tours and stuff like that. They were making a massive amount of money to be like that young for skateboarders. Exactly. You know what I mean, and Peralta was a, a smart business guy. He was one of the ones that got out of the Zephyr skate club that didn't end up like bad on drugs or right. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um so he sort of took Tony Hawk under his wing and helped him out. Like, here's how you should manage your money and not yeah. fuck yourself up. You yeah. Know, so because he actually went through a, a time like in like where he was like maybe like twenty three to twenty six mm-hmm. where everything ran out. And, uh, you know, basically the style that he was doing, everybody turned yeah. on it. Yeah, everything went to street skating in the That's 90s, exactly and right. he was known as a half-pipe master. That's yeah. right. And so the whole half-pipe thing became uncool yep. to wear a helmet, to wear knee pads, yep. and to have those, like, Nash skateboards was out. And then you were getting these little street boards with tiny cookie wheels on them or whatever. Yep. This little popsicle stick boards, and it was a totally different transition. And this, you're right, this, is, this game coming out sort of made him... Super well, cool again. Tied into the X Games and stuff like yep. that. I was just know, about so. to say, then the X Games started and they yeah. had skateboarding in the X Games and he won like every medal every year. That's when yep. he had another, yeah. was the, the 900 or whatever at mm-hmm. the thing. But unfortunately, the, you know, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was such a huge hit that they tried to redo it with Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer. And I, anybody that, that surfs or whatever owns this game at one point, but they only did one of them. Mm. And that's yeah. the last surfing game that has ever been put out mm. on a console. Shit came out in 2002. It pains me. <laughs> there is nothing else there. I've said it a million times. I'm like, you have a built-in audience. If somebody would just put the money into it and put a game out there, everybody that surfs will buy this fucking game because there's a dearth of surfing games out there. Sure. So, you know, you guys want to listen to us, please, God, make a surfing game, dude, <laughs> for me, so I can pretend. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, man. So then, uh, yeah, I guess uh, my last game is Mortal Kombat. Oh, man. Finish him. That's it, There man. was so much controversy over that game when it came out. There's no way it wasn't going to be cool as shit because they knew that the parents would hate it, the kids would love it. It was insanely gory. It was also, look, the graphics were pretty cool when it first came out. Like, people don't realize this now, but when I first saw this video game at, like, the bowling alley, I was like, that looks like a real person. Right. And that was, you know, I'm used to playing like fucking bad dudes in Double Dragon. Yeah. You know, 8-bit, 8-bit style. Characters. Yeah, dude. And this one came out and it looks like dudes. And then all of a sudden I see Kano tear out Johnny Cage's heart. And I was like, I, I have to have this game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. have to have it. And it became such a big phenomenon that there was a big competitive underpinning to it where they had tournaments. Oh, yeah. And, shit oh, like yeah. This. and I remember them having tournaments at like this place in our town. And going there, and there was this one little Asian kid that beat everybody's ass. I mean, he was like the kid off of uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. <laughs> uh, but everybody was like, don't, don't fuck with that kid. He's really good. He'll beat you with Liu Kang every time. And uh, then it finally came to consoles, and I was big on the Sega Genesis. Yep, this was a big battle. It... it was like either Sega Genesis or Super Nintendo. You pick your side, dude. And I was Genesis to the core. Well, Mortal Kombat was one of the flagships for the Genesis. Well, that here's where the game changer that came in that I could rub in everybody's face that was a Super Nintendo Teamster or what do you call it? What do you call those? Uh, stand. Yeah, Super Nintendo Stan. Aficionado. Yeah, they were like, and I was like, hey, 
uh, that's interesting. I got Mortal Kombat on the Sega Genesis, and uh, I put in this code, and I can uh, see the blood and do the fatalities. How does that look on Super Nintendo? Oh, that's right. There's no blood or fatalities on the Super Nintendo, you punk bitch. Dude, I remember one of my distinct memories of my childhood is getting Mortal Kombat for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And that entire morning, I sat there with my little boombox where I was playing Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, oh, the entire album. Killer album. Just back to back and sitting there, Blood Code, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And even my mom was like, I don't know about this. I was like, <laughs> Santa brought it to me. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to take it away from me, mom. Now watch me fucking kill this guy. <laughs> watch me not get over his head here. Off. Yeah, dude. So who, was your, who, did, who did you guys play with? Who was your go to? I liked Liu Kang. I Luke like Kang Luke Kang. Well, his finishing move, you could turn into the dragon and bite the that guy in half. That was the second yeah. one. All right. That was Mortal okay. Kombat 2. The first two. one, his first, the first one was pretty weak because he did like an aerial cartwheel kick and then an uppercut. Yeah, that I remember it. that. Right. Because yeah. you get next to him, you'd have to get within sweep distance and yeah. do a full 360, and that's when he'd do the kick. But yeah, the second one is when he turned into the dragon and eat him in half. Okay, uh, I was a Sub-Zero and Raiden fan. Those okay, were my two. Yeah, yeah. Sub-Zero was my second. He was my B player. A was Liu Kang for sure. But and with Raiden, you could fly across the screen. Yeah, and you could do the warp thing, which yeah, is super yeah, tight. Yeah. And his uh, fatality was pretty fucking hilarious. You, like, electrocute him, you know? Oh, yeah, You yeah, would yeah. put him in the bathtub and push a toaster into it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the blood code was A-B-A-C-A-B-B. -B -B. That's oh, amazing. You remember all these codes. I, that's funny. I didn't play a ton of video games, but I remember the all code the of Mike codes. Tyson and the blood yeah. code. and Contra? Go ahead. Oh, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. There you go. BA, BA, select, BA, start. BA, select, start. Yeah. Whatever, it's yeah. funny because uh, it's, uh, I do, I remember people's phone numbers from the 90s just yeah, randomly, sure. you know, and then, but I uh, often can't remember if I left my keys or my wallet, uh, <laughs> you know, anywhere near me. <laughs> my wife gets super mad and she's like, how do you not remember this shit? And I'm like, I don't do it on purpose, but I, yeah, you remember those, uh, you remember the blood code. Yeah. Of course. Why wouldn't you? I know, right? So. Nice. All right. So I had a couple games uh, on honorable mention. Okay. Yeah. For sure. One I mentioned earlier was Need for Speed. Yes. Oh man, uh, that was a definite hit. And Road Rash. You remember Road oh, Rash? Yeah. Yeah. Oh so yeah. Yeah. So tight. I love getting the chain and just beating another biker to death. Yeah, it was on the Sega Genesis, and you could ride next to him. Yeah, exactly, and just whip ass yeah. as you're racing and kick people off their bikes. You could and kick them, and then you could get lucky and pick up a chain and then a bat. Yep. Remember how when you would wreck, you'd have to run back to your <laughs> motorcycle? Yeah. Sometimes it's a long way. Yeah, it yeah. was. It actually, we. I, it's funny that you bring that up. Again, this is just totally bombarding me with memories. We would try to see how bad we could wreck to see how far we would have to run back to our bikes. <laughs> of course. Excellent absolutely. game. Yes. So another one that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed was Daytona USA. That was oh, the yeah. arcade one, right? It was. It was released on PlayStation. Was it? Okay. okay. Yeah, the sure. only one was great in the arcade, though, because you got to sit and drive. Oh, yeah. Right? Without a doubt. And then the aforementioned NBA Jam. Yeah. So was, awesome. uh, and see, what was also really good is that on the Nintendo 64, yeah. and you could do four-player, two-on-two. Yeah. Or yeah. if it was just two players over there, yeah. you and your buddy could play against the computer. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember the deep disappointment of... And now, first of all, I grew up a Lakers fan, so I always would pick the Lakers. But I remember the deep disappointment of other people who would pick the Bulls and look for Michael Jordan, and they're getting Horace Grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What and Scotty Pippen. Yep. Yeah, it was, was it, it was Pippen and Grant, I believe. Grant yeah. on there. But I mean, like, you could also put in the cheat codes and get certain other players. That was the other cool thing, was all these, uh, the little Easter eggs, and you could get all these cool people. I want to say, like, you could get the Noid from Domino's. The Noid, yeah, and the people that actually developed the game yeah. would yeah. be on there, and they would have these big, giant bobbleheads. Yeah. Such a cool game. It Such was. a cool game. 
And then I just, I liked one. It was called Twisted Metal. Fuck yeah! Oh yeah, Twisted Metal two specifically. Great game. Yeah, those were awesome. Who was your Who was your Twisted Metal two guy? I liked the tank. Remember the big green tank? I know Axel. Axel was my guy. The guy with the two big tires. Okay, yeah, that's the one that was like he was like melded into the big giant wheels. I like that guy. That was crazy because that was like I don't ever remember anybody really playing with that guy, and I was always kind of felt bad for him. I was like, you know, he seems like he'd be good. I was Thumper. I got the the pink low rider with that fucking blowtorch off the With front the of that thing. yeah that's nice. right that's right yeah no uh some of my um honorable mentions were and we've touched base on them sonic the hedgehog yeah i mean that game when it came out on the genesis was you know it's cool it was game changing power oh, up yeah. you know mm-hmm. as long as you had one coin in your stash you yeah. could keep on going you know um street fighter 2 came yeah. out at that time it's funny i still i have upstairs right now we could go up and play street fighter 2 we could play tekken we could play Mike Tyson's Punch Out. We could play Super Mario Three. I still play these games fairly frequently. Nice, nice. I still play a lot of them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're excellent. So I would. Uh, my mention will be Battletoads, which is uh, only known <laughs> because it's the hardest goddamn game to ever be created by a human being. And uh, I remember, so a thing was when we were a kid, we would go to like Blockbuster Video, and you could rent a game for three days, mm-hmm. and you you were given things a shot. It was an opportunity to try something new. And I remember getting Battletoads and thinking, this is the hardest fucking game I've ever played. And being furious. And then, about 10 years ago, on the internet, for some reason, the conversation about how hard Battletoads is became a meme in and of itself. It became such a big deal that people were calling into Pawn Stars and asking for copies of Battletoads. (laughs) To test the theory. (laughs) Yes. They were like, we want to... And there was one time where they were like, someone pointed out there was a copy of Battletoads sitting behind Rick at Pawn Stars. (laughs) It's the game that, like I said, it's a stupid game. It was supposed to be like Ninja Turtles, but they were were Battletoads. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was stupid hard. So that's, that's my honorable mention. Uh, just for the obscurity and weirdness of it. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this fireside chat. If you like what you hear or think we're the dumbest people on earth, tell others to check us out as well. You can find all our shows on our podcast platforms and on social media at AHC Podcast. We'll be back next week for another episode of Asshole Court. So until next time, stay safe, show people love, and most importantly, don't be an asshole. That's it. Do you think we're totally retarded? Tell your <laughs> tell, friends about tell us. About. Is it the shoes? <laughs> He's on fire! He's on fire! fire. Boom, shakalaka! <laughs>